seals and and so we come to chapter 12 and it's like God uh, gives us this chapter of encouragement trying to explain um, why Satan, who is the red dragon, who has been after the woman, the Jewish people, and after uh, the child that was born. And, um, and so they should understand this, that it's not a surprise to God. And um, we looked at verses 1 through uh, six about how he has always tried to uh, persecute them. And then we looked in verses seven through 12 about the war in heaven and how Satan was uh, thrown out of heaven with no more access. And I want to start in verse 12 tonight um, because when I started uh, this Bible study in my own personal time to get ready for this, uh, I had no idea that it would be such, I mean, I knew it was going to be a blessing because the Bible promises that it's a blessing and all those who read it and obey it. But I just really didn't know what to think. As most people, I've read it and read it and read it and thought, oh, this is so confusing. Um, but as I have read it, it's been such an encouragement to me to just see how God is at work, how he's going to be at work, and just the promises and encouragement that he lives, leaves. And this, in the end of chapter 12, is no different. Um, but when we look here in verse 12, um, it's talking about Satan being thrown out of heaven. He comes to the earth. I personally believe this happens at the beginning of the tribulation period, uh, after the rapture of the church. I don't know if it's uh, the saints going to heaven or whatever it is, but uh, that Satan leaves this uh, this war uh, on, on heaven and is thrown out of heaven. Um, but in Revelation chapter 12, uh, and starting in verse 12, it says, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. And so it fits back to there is a war. Uh, Satan has tried this. The fallen angels have tried this. Satan's access has been cut off from heaven. And so uh, we can stand before God knowing that we are no longer being accused. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. And so uh, if you read there in Hebrews, I just wanted to, to show you some of these verses. In Hebrews chapter 1, talking about the supremacy of Christ, that he's not an angel, that, that he is God. It says, but to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He's saying, that's not a promise given to an angel. That's the promise given to the son. And then he describes what angels are to be doing. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? So they are ministering spirits to those who believe, to those who receive the promise of God. And so if you then read in Zechariah chapter 3, we see what Satan is doing. How the flip side of that, as a fallen angel, the leader of the fallen angels. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? So Satan is making these accusations. 
Uh, Lord, the children of Israel are just as wicked as they've always been. They're going to come back and do the same things they've always done. There's no reason to love them and to keep your promises to them. But look what we see from the, the angels that have followed Satan there in Revelation chapter 16. Because I just want to finish this up. That This is not some strange thing that we don't read anywhere else in the Bible about fallen angels and what they're doing and how they're at work. The Bible's full of it. And so in Revelation chapter 16, it says, Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up. So the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. So this army that is going to come against Jerusalem, uh, the water that is separating it or whatever barrier is separating it, is gone. And I saw three unclean spirits, fallen angels, okay, like frogs coming out from the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the frogs prophet. You've heard, um, uh, we believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you have the unholy trinity, right? The dragon, the antichrist, and the false prophet, right? For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. So the influence of demons and the fallen angels is to influence the kingdoms of men to do their bidding. And so while God establishes government, the Bible tells us, right? Satan always corrupts government. It becomes something that is manipulated. It's about power. It's about control. And so that is talking about fallen angels and demonic influence. And you say, why are we talking about that? Because when we get into verses 13 through 17, we see how Satan persecutes the Jewish people at the very end. I believe the three and a half last years of the tribulation period. But I wanted to show you what this battle looks like. You say, Jake, you really believe there's a spiritual battle between demons and, uh, and angels? Yes. You say, why doesn't God just stop? Them? I don't know. It's not my idea. It's not my plan. It's not my purpose. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. He, he can do whatever he wants, whatever he wants. But yet the Bible talks about this spiritual warfare. And so look here in verse 13 as we read verses 13 through 17. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman, we've already looked at that, who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and a time and a half a time. We've looked at that three and a half year period from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and he went to wake war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commands of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. If you're familiar with the book of Daniel, which we've talked about a ton, this, this, uh, the abomination of the desolation is a biblical concept that for the first three and a half years of the tribulation period, uh, the Antichrist um, solidifies his political power. He makes a, a treaty with the nation of Israel. But at that halfway point, 
he sets himself up as the object of their worship. Uh, we know, if you read on in the next couple chapters, that he dies and is miraculously resurrected. And so the world follows him as a false messiah. The false prophet is, is deceiving the world. Don't turn to God, follow him. And if you want to, you can flip over your Bibles because I didn't give this to you tonight. We see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, talking about the great apostasy, if your Bible has the heading like mine does. And we won't read it all just for the sake of time. But starting in verse 3, it says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come, unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth as exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. The Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawlessness one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of truth that they might be saved. All right? So we see the son of perdition, which I believe it is the Antichrist, and we see here the Lord talking about how he is going to destroy him. We've looked in the 19th chapter of Revelation what this looks like, okay? And so if we believe that the abomination of desolation happens at the three and a half year part, that second half, which is called the Great Tribulation, is when the Antichrist and the false prophet and the dragon turn the world against the Jewish people. Um, I believe, like I said, that first three and a half years is the Antichrist bringing all the nations of the world uh, together in a coalition, or as many as can be, and then when he feels that he is in power, when he has that control, then that's when the abomination of desolation happens. All right? So that's where I believe you're seeing here that even though he is thrown out of heaven in this war in verses 7 through 12, I believe that first three and a half year period is this preparation. Now, some people believe that the throwing out of heaven is at the halfway point. Some don't believe it happens at all. And so I'm just teaching you what I believe the Bible teaches. And if you'd like to hear from someone else, there are plenty of teachers out there. Okay. But that's where we find ourselves at verse 13. Satan has gained the foothold of power. He has committed the abomination of desolation. And now is the time to persecute the Jewish people who, by the way, have spent this time learning who Christ is. We've seen the 144,000 evangelists. We've seen God doing a miraculous work. Okay. Multitudes of Jewish people are being saved. And then we come to how Satan is going to work this out in the details. Questions before we jump in.
All right, verse 13. Let's just look at it tonight together and we will just go right through it. If you're taking notes, there, the heading is there for you. But we see that Satan works on his plan to destroy God's people on the earth. And so in verse uh, 13, it says, now when, right? So after it has happened, now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, when he realizes his access to heaven is gone, when he sees that this is going to be where he is operating at, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. All right. Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Jeremiah talks about what the Bible talks about as Jacob's trouble. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Who's he talking about? The Jewish people. We see this very same thing in the book of Matthew, chapter 24, when Jesus is teaching. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. So we have to go back to the book of Daniel. You've got those verses in your notes. You can read those on your own time. I'm going to try to get you out early tonight. Um, and that way I, I can ramble next week. Because chapter 13 is a lot more confusing than chapter 12. Standing in the holy place. Whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, I want to stop right there for just a minute, and I want you to take your copy of God's Word and look in verse 14. But the woman who has given two eagles, two wings of the great eagle, that she might what? Fly into the wilderness, into the mountains, into the unpopulated areas. Then it goes on in verse 17. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take advantage of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Then there will be a great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. Now, just for your uh, benefit, um, so if you were a seven-day Adventist, which I don't think you are, uh, this is one of the verses they use to teach that you should still be worshiping on Saturday, that you're not supposed to travel on the Sabbath, you're not supposed to do all of these things on the Sabbath. And so they would say right here, he is telling them that this is going to be a problem. But I think that is a very bad look at this when you tie it in to winter. It is teaching us that for a Jew to travel in Israel on the Sabbath, even though there are many who are saved, it will make things be very difficult. Now, we know if you have lived here at any time in your life years ago, years ago, not in my lifetime, but years ago on Sunday, everything used to be what? Closed, closed right? You couldn't, you couldn't buy, you couldn't, it was, the, I don't know what the blue lock, no. Blue, yeah, that was what it is. And so winter is a difficult time to travel in our minds, but yet not as much in the climate that you see then. But yet what he's teaching here is pray that it is not in a difficult season of travel because everything is going to be a challenge. 
right? It's kind of like when it rains, it pours. So you're praying that you have the optimal conditions to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish. And so the idea that this teaches that all of us who worship on Sunday have taken the mark of the beast and are not going to heaven, I think is a terrible reading of this verse, okay? I think it, it overlooks the rest of the New Testament. I believe it overlooks everything else Jesus and we're going to be looking at in the book of Revelation. But I want you to know that this is one of the verses that if you ever encounter someone that is a seven-day Advent, will be very challenging uh, because it is a belief that is very firmly held, okay? Look what it says, though. For then there will be a great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor shall ever be. All right, so this persecution, this difficulty, this challenge is Satan's plan to try to destroy God's people on the earth. And why is he trying to do this? Well, verse 13, when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who had given birth to the male child. All right, so verses one through six in chapter 12 tells us what he has been doing. All right. Verses 7 through 12 tell us what is going to happen. And then verses 13 through 17 talk about how he wants to do it, but yet also how God will keep him from doing it. Okay, and that's really important tonight to see that even though Satan wants this, that Satan is going all in on this, that God is still in control. All right, that God still has a plan. Uh, questions about verse 13. With that chapter of Matthew and the reference to Sabbath, mm -hmm. that to me flows more into the fall of Jerusalem than it does the end time itself. In what way? Well, because you had the siege on Jerusalem, mm -hmm. there was a pulling away, and there was a fleeing from Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. That's where the whole Messiah, which is in the wilderness, happens. You have three and a half years of the fall of Jerusalem, another three and a half years of the fall of Messiah. Yeah, I also think, though, that when you look at it like that, you have to take the reflecting, like in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and then I think that it conflicts with that. Because in 2 Thessalonians 1, when you're talking about this abomination of desolation, the Lord talks about how he's going to destroy that in a way that I don't think fits the fall of Jerusalem at the end of that. Well, absolutely, absolutely. But I also believe there's going to be another temple, right? And I believe it's going to be the Antichrist that has set up his reign in that. And so when you look there in verse um, 9, I think it is, uh, in verse 10, uh, verse 8 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, um, it says, right, that he will be destroyed by the brightness of his coming, of the Lord Jesus's Coming. So I don't think that 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is that description of the fall of Jerusalem. Because the Lord has not returned. He has not destroyed this individual by his coming and power. So um, that's why I believe this is still to come. It's still to come during that seven-year period in the tribulation. Other questions? Well, let's look at God's way to preserve his own. All right, look at verse 14. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, 
that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And so I want to show you some of the places in the Bible that it references the Lord's protection, the Lord's provision. Um, and also, if you think about what Satan is doing here, uh, you will find multiple places in the Old Testament about water as a symbol of judgment. You'll see it in the flood. Um, you will see it in regards to the uh, exodus, uh, how God delivered them across dry land. And so this idea of judgment is absolutely uh, throughout the Old Testament. But for the sake of time tonight, I really want to look at the first part of this. And we might look at it some uh, next week as we jump into chapter 13. Uh, but in Hosea chapter 2, starting in verse 14, it says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her, will bring her into the, the wilderness, and speak comfort to her. I will give her her vineyards from there, and the valley of Accor as the door of hope. He doesn't take them into the wilderness as destruction, but that is hope, right? And so at the end of the seven year period, while it's judgment for the rest of the world, for the Jewish people, it is a time of hope, restoration. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came out from the land of Egypt. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. For I will take from her mouth the names of the Baals, and they shall remember by their names no more. Now this is important. We know that the nation of Israel up until this day has not been able to remove the false worship. You read the Old Testament in its entirety, and what were they always going back to, right? The Baals and the and the high places of false temples. But God says at this time, there's not going to be any other worship. They're going to worship him. And I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the fields, with the birds of the air, and with the creepy things of the grounds. Bow and sword of battle I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely. Right? All of the opposition, all of the persecution, all of the idolatry, all of the things that Israel has faced when God takes them into the wilderness for this three and a half year period, when he protects them from Satan, it is all going to work out because at the end of this, the Lord is going to return. And we've looked at that in the 19th chapter of the Revelation. All right. But look at Exodus 19, because I want you to see how these correlate. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on the same day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai, for they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain, and Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell to the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. 
and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to my self. Now, I want to stop there because I want us to go back, right? But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place. What is God talking about? It's protection, right? We know how God provided for them with the Egyptians, right? He didn't fly them across the water on the wings of an eagle, right? It's a protection. This is a symbol of protection. Now, we're thinking American eagles, right? The bald eagle, but this is not the same animal that it's talking about in Jerusalem. It's more like a... Uh, uh, it's 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 a it's more of a bird that has uh, claws. Uh, it's not a vulture, but it can pick things up. Uh, it can carry things because most of us think about the the bald eagle not picking us up and carrying us. But these animals that it's talking about from this Israel are a, a very unique bird with a very unique skill set, right? To protect their own, to uh, provide for their own, to take care of their own. And so what he says here is. I protected you in the Exodus. I, I, I've taken care of you. But look at verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. So God says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. Just like in uh, the verse that we saw uh, from Hosea, about how he will protect them, how he will take them to a place of safety. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 32, because we want to see the example that is found all throughout scripture, all right? Especially when you're studying something as difficult as the book of Revelation, right? Where else do we see these things in the word of God? For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the west wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Now, verse 11, as a eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wing, taking them up carrying them on its wings so that the Lord alone led him and there was no foreign God with him. He made him ride in the heights of the earth that he might eat the produce of the fields, that he made him grow honey from the rock and oil from the flinty rock. So what we see is when we see references to the eagle, to the protection of God, and then we look at it here in Revelation 12, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to say that, so it was three and a half years, and then it was another three and a half years, but the end result was both destruction, right? What we're seeing here is always this protection, always this provision, always that God is doing something amazing to protect them, right? Whether it was the sea, whether it was the wilderness, but here in verse 11, it doesn't give us the idea that they're still on the move, right? The Exodus, they were on the move being protected. But this is a stopping, right? Just like a nest, that it's hovering, that it's spreading up, that it's carrying them. But look at verse 12, though. So the Lord, Lord the Lord alone led him. And there was no foreign God 
with him. Now, we know that for seasons, the Jewish people would worship God, right? But yet they always go back. God protects, God provides, God works, God moves. But in the times of blessing, then they what? Turn and run back. Turn and run back to the paganism and the wickedness of what they are. And I got one more and I'll uh, open it up for questions and discussion because I think it's really important just to continue to see this. In verse one through six of Psalm 91, he who dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snail of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckle. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. So this idea of wings of protection, of the eagle of protection, the wilderness of protection is a pattern with God from the very beginning. And so when we read here in chapter 12, if, if you believe that the church has been raptured out, the Jewish people have come back to a faith in Christ, uh, a real personal relationship with him. They've abandoned Judaism. The dragon, Satan, the Antichrist are persecuting them. It makes perfect sense with the character of God to find them a place to protect them, to watch out for them. Because what we see here is that even though God is going to give them a place, the Bible doesn't give us the details about where. Some people believe it's the city of Petra, and there are even Christians who have been leaving Bibles at this uh, historical site because they believe the Jewish people are going to go there. Some people view the wings of eagles as some country, a Gentile nation that hasn't abandoned Israel yet, who are going to come and fly the Jewish people out of Israel. Uh, there's all kinds of difference of opinions, but I don't think you can make an assess a, a, a guess. I don't believe there's a biblical, really good, solid foundation other than God protects them, and I don't know how, all right? And I'm okay with that. Now, some people aren't, right? I've read commentators after commentators, and they all have good ideas, and they all have good opinions, but I'm okay with just saying that God protects them. And it's a supernatural, miraculous, powerful thing. Because when you see there in verse 15, so the serpent spewed out of his mouth like a flood after the woman. We think of God judging the world, right? The, the, the flood that destroyed. We think of the power, the, the magnitude, and that is the, uh, the way that Satan is going to come after them. It's not going to be a secret persecution. It's not going to be a private persecution. It's going to be with all that he has. Uh, one Bible commentator, I believe, um, said that uh, he will fire the world's arsenal of missiles and nuclear um, uh, uh, weapons uh, at wherever they are and God will supernaturally take them down. Um, maybe that's the case. I don't know. I don't, I can't answer that. I can't say it's wrong. It's right. But yet I want you to see 
if you get nothing else from tonight, the significance of when God talks about leading them, protecting them, and providing them, okay? Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so look what it says in verse 14. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly. She's being led. And even in our world today, as a child of God, how can I apply this to my life if I don't believe I'm going to be here like I do? Okay? One, the Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is still what? Leading us, guiding us, directing us. I'm going to get emotional. Today I got a call from a lady whose husband is not a Christian. I met them in the hospital. I ended up doing her mom's funeral, uh, her uncle's funeral, her other uncle's funeral, uh, her aunt's funeral, and her mother I led to the Lord at 103, a few days before she died in the hospital. Her other uncle I led to the Lord in his 90s, the very day before he died. But her husband, who's not a Christian, was very open about it, was not, you know, and today I got a call, I think I can say this on social media, I don't um, and she said, hey, uh, he's not well, would you care to stop by? Don't tell him I called you, don't lie, I said, well, I'm not gonna lie, if he asked if you call, I'm gonna tell him, right? But I stopped and uh, said, hey, I'm just, you know, which I was going to go to North City and eat because never pass up an opportunity to eat at the Cardinal. All right. So, um, but uh, stopped in there and, and spent about two hours with this gentleman and said, uh, said, you're going to be 90 in February, right? The 14th of February. Uh, is that just your birthday, Mom? Or that's the Valentine's Day. Here's it right there. Close, close, close. I don't know. We don't see anyway. I knew Mom's birthday was on Valentine's Day. That's the one that matters, the birthday, right? No. Um, <laughs> But uh, I said, hey, you're going to be 90. He said, yeah. He said, I've got cancer, COPD, and don't think I'm going to make it. And uh, he said, how long do you think this is going to take? I said, well, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> don't practice, don't act like it. I'm not like most preachers. I don't play part-time doctor because I'm at the hospital. I don't know. But I said, what I am worried about is, is what's going to happen when you die. And uh, he said, uh, his wife said, well, Jake, would you pray with him? I know you can't pray anything to heaven, but would you pray with him? And I said, well, I won't pray with him until I talk to him about something. And he said, well, I will talk about anything. And uh, I said, uh, I said, uh, you know, I won't say his name, but I said, uh, I said, do you believe that you're a sinner? Oh, yeah. And she's like, oh, yeah, he is. You know, you know how wives are so encouraging. We love you so much. Paul said, if you can remain sick. No, anyway, I'm just kidding. Um, and uh, I said, uh, well, the Bible tells us that there's only one place for an unrepentant sinner. And that's hell. And he said, I, I, I know. And I said, uh, I said, Jesus loves you. He died for you. And he'd love to forgive you of all your sins. And I quoted, you know, different passages of scripture that God's not willing, that he should perish, that God desires all men to be saved. You know? And I said, uh, I feel like God's dealing with you. He said, well, actually, last night when I was, uh, I got grieved. He said, I thought it was it. He said, I, uh, he said, I don't remember much from my 
childhood in a Pentecostal church. But I remember getting out of the Pentecostal church as fast as I could, is what he said. But he said, I asked the Lord to forgive me to come into my heart and life. But he said, uh, he said, I'd really like for us to pray right now and me talk to you about it. I said, well, I, I want you to know that if you meant it last night, the Lord took care of it last night. But uh, uh, he said, I want you to preach the funeral and I want you to be able to tell this. <laughs> and, uh, and so we prayed and went through the, uh, you know, the verses. And, uh, and I just was so blessed. So blessed. Because he was one of those people that, uh, man, a good guy, hard work, <clears throat> loves his family, uh, says more curse words than anybody I've ever heard. And I've spent a few years saying a lot of them myself. Uh, but had that wonderful privilege today. And as I was driving home, I thought, Lord, thank you for the privilege of being led into these people's lives all these years ago by just being that nosy preacher that knocked on the door and stuck my head in people's rooms. I never would have dreamed then that I would have had the privilege I did today. And, uh, and we have to believe that. We have to believe that the Lord still leads, that he has a purpose and a plan for why we're here, why we're doing what we're doing, because not only does he lead us, look what it says there. It goes on and says, I'm gonna, I can't get my eyes aren't working real well. But the woman was given two wings of an eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished, where she is fed, where she is provided for. Right? You think the wilderness, you think the deserts, you think a lack of, right? You think of barren, you think of, of difficulty, but yet nourished. Right? I've watched some of you eat tonight, and you were definitely about the nourishment, all right? Uh, some of you committed some gluttony, probably, but that's a sermon for another day. But this idea of nourish is to be provided for, is to be fed, is to be taken care of. God doesn't just lead them into the wilderness to leave them or to let them struggle. It is a supernatural leading. It is a supernatural providing, and we have to believe that. Whether it's as individuals, whether it's as a family, whether it's as a church, that when we will be led by the Spirit, when we're not quenching Him, when we're not grieving Him, that He will provide what we need. That we will be nourished, not spiritually bankrupt. Now, that's my biggest concern with so many believers is we're trying to live on yesterday's meal instead of having a fresh, new, vibrant relationship with God every day. And then the third one is what? Verse 15, so the serpent spewed out of his mouth like a flood of a woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Earth in this context, when you read it a lot, it's just the domain of God, right? That he created it, that it's his, that it belongs to him. And so some people say it's going to be a the earthquakes, right? The, the earthquakes that we've been reading about. God will use one of those to stop the, the persecution. Or God will, like I said, there's no good answer, okay? But that he is going to protect it. And you have to believe that. That God will lead you. That God will provide you. And that God can keep you where he wants you to be. Now, does that mean you're not going to have trials and tribulations? No. But spiritually, he can keep you from the wiles of the evil one. 
right? The fiery darts of Satan. And so I read this and it just brings me great encouragement, one, for what he's doing then, but also what he's doing in our lives. Um, questions, comments before we jump into the last verse and then I bless you. All right, verse 17. And the dragon was enraged with the women, the woman, not women, woman. All right, he's sorry. So why? This means that he wasn't successful. Right? If he is enraged, it's not because he was successful, because he couldn't accomplish his task. So it goes back to the idea of protection that he was not able to get to. There's not been this second judgment that they have been taken care of. And so, and he went, which means a, a turning and going somewhere else, right? I, uh, I tried to get into McDonald's a couple days last week, but it was closed. And I went to the Dairy Queen. Yeah, no one said Subway. Good call. Good call. Right? I could not get what I wanted at McDonald's because it was closed, right? I wanted two McChickens or two McDoubles and a Frappe, all right? That's what I wanted. All right, I went to the Dairy Queen and said, do you have one of those? They said, no, we do not. I said, well, shucks, all right? But I couldn't get what I wanted. I was frustrated, and so I went somewhere else. And so it says in verse 17, and the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. This is where we want to just spend a few moments here, because why? These are other believers or these are other Jews that were not in Israel at this time. We don't know. But all we know is what it then goes off and explains to us. Right? Because the verse finishes out who these people are. It says, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Some people believe these are the Gentile Christians who are still on the earth. Others believe these are Jewish Christians from other parts of the world. But either way, they are followers of Jesus. And because he cannot get to the Jewish people who are in Israel or wherever they have been, he turns his eye to others. John 14, and we see the same principle, right? The testimony and keeping the commandments. If you love me, keep my and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. That's why I don't believe the Holy Spirit completely abandons the world during the tribulation. I believe different aspects of what he's doing stop, right? He keeps the evil one from rising. He, he keeps the influence of the church that we now have impacting the culture. But he doesn't leave completely because he will abide with you forever, the children of God. Once the Spirit of God is in you, he will be with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Probably the, some of my two favorite words in all the Bible. In you. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. First John chapter 5 and we'll be done. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. There's the testimony. Same thing we saw in Revelation chapter 12. And everyone who loves him, who begot also loves him, who is also begotten of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his 
commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not. Now, let's be honest. All of us as Christians have sometimes considered serving God as a burden. But I just want to spread that rumor. But I just want to complain. But the Bible says when our heart's in the right place, obeying God is not a burden. Oh, I got to go to church on Sunday because it says do not forsake this living of yourself together. Not if your heart's in the right place. It's not a burden. Right? Keeping the commandments. Forgiving. Anybody ever struggle with forgiving somebody? It says it's not a burden if my heart's in the right place. And his commandments are not burdensome. I try to quote this and do all things without disputing and complaining a lot. All right? Those two, I try to really get in this thick head and heart of mine. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. The encouragement of that, this world is not our home. Right? The problems of this world. We've read Revelation chapter 21. They do not follow us there. No tears, no heartache, no sickness, nor death. For the former things have passed away. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so because he cannot get to this group of people, he is not successful in his judgment on them, he turns his eye to the rest of the followers of Jesus, wherever they are, Whatever they're going through. I don't know if they're Jewish. I don't know if they're Gentile. I can't answer that for you. But I know they are obeying God. And they are claiming him. And Satan says I'm going after them. And so. I read this with great encouragement. For so many reasons. For so many reasons. And tonight I just pray. That whatever you're going through. That you will believe that God is able. Just like he's going to. Just like he has provided all of these times in the Old Testament that we looked at. But most importantly tonight, if you don't really know him as the Lord and Savior of your life, know that he loves you. That he died for you. That he rose from the dead. He took your sin and he took mine. I think we just, we think the gospel is so simple, sometimes we just get over it. But I'm telling you today, as I was just listening to that man and talking to him, it just blew my mind how amazing God is. I mean, I love when little kids get saved. My kids get saved, right? They've been saved, and, and it's all special, right? Dead to life. But I'm just telling you, you know that a man has very few days, if not weeks, left to go. And God just kept pursuing him, kept dealing with him, followed him to the very end of his life. It should remind us of the goodness of God. Because I've heard this guy say a lot of things about God that were not meant in the positive. But yet God was faithful. And tonight I just want to encourage you that if you do not know him as the Lord and Savior of your life, you say it's a Wednesday night. I don't care. I would love to talk to you. I would love to show you what the Bible says about how to be saved. Uh, other questions, comments, like I said, chapter 13. Um, when we look at next week, we've seen how the persecution works, um, how it is, has been going on. 
But really, chapter 13 begins to really explain to us even more the specifics of how Satan is working during the tribulation period through the Antichrist, through the false prophet. I will get into the mark of the beast at the very end of chapter 18. Look up here and know that I do not have all the answers. And I, and, I, and I do not know, okay, exactly what that looks like. But we're going to talk about it and what the Bible says. Um, but it is a really important chapter, chapter 13, which all of them are important. But if you miss the significance of this false trinity, it is a reminder that Satan cannot create. He only copies and corrupts. Right? Even in this chapter, we're going to look at the miracles, how they are very similar to calling fire down from heaven. They're very similar to a dead person coming back to life. And that is how the Antichrist is going to work during the tribulation period. It's going to be to appear very close to the truth of the gospel, but it's worshiping the wrong person. And so it's a very important chapter. It is a wonderful just unveiling of, of, of how Satan works how we can be on guard, um, but um, anyway, not very often can I say I'm excited because I'm thinking, oh, what am I going to say? But I have really enjoyed uh, these last couple of weeks just diving into what it says. So.